Welcome to episode 12 of the Bucket Seat Podcast. Today I talked to Miles Markovic, a car builder and a race instructor. There's a lot more to that story and we talk about it for an hour, so hang in there, but I think you'll enjoy today's episode. This is the Bucket Seat Podcast. Markovic. <laughs> well, that's the way my dad pronounces it. Um, and so... But the Canadian version is like Markovic. Markovic. I wasn't sure if it was Markovic or Markovic. Yeah. Well, Markovic. it's like, yeah, and so the other Markovic. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> he just do. Awesome. Even Turkey that can't afford to. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, okay, so... Um, I think we're gonna, we'll we'll start off. We'll get into it. So, uh, thank you for coming, uh, Miles. This is episode twelve of the Bucket Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, uh, and I'm I'm really happy and excited to have my guest, Miles Markovic, here with me today. Um, Miles and I uh, go back actually a long way, and we didn't even know it when we first met. Interestingly enough, it was kind of the start of me being into cars um it was my first real foray into i guess being enthusiastic about a car that i had which was uh, a 92 eg civic hatchback tahitian green miles was at the uh what was it it was the I think it was a hada event it was a hada event so the mm-hmm. uh honda uh honda acura drivers association honda acura drivers association and it was um yeah it was like an instruction it was like a, an instruction course for learning car control yeah essentially right mm-hmm. and then i guess after that it, we'd fast forward probably five years plus yeah uh and we bump into each other at the advertising agency that we were working at yeah. uh, at taxi and we were both working on a lot of the really cool um Canadian automotive, automotive like Canadian stuff. automotive stuff yeah. Yeah. And all my ideas seem to be, hey, let's build a car. Hey, let's build a car. <laughs> right. Hey, right. let's take a car and do something cool. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. And um, and so, um, when we were working at um, when we were working at, at Taxi, there was one project in particular that uh, that never saw the light of day, which I thought was super cool. I don't know if anybody's going to get us in trouble for talking about it. I don't think so, but uh, it was one of the coolest uh, projects. Um, that never saw the light of day. Uh, it was followed up quickly by one that did, which was the Canadian Tire ice truck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you had moved on at that point um, before uh, that whole project kind of came to fruition, which is unfortunate. But uh, anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about. Miles is a copywriter when he's not um, into cars, wrenching on cars, building cars, teaching people how to race cars, mm-hmm. teaching people how to teach people how to race cars <laughs> and uh, and generally just uh, loving what the automotive industry has um, for the most part. So I think uh, with most people on the show, what I like to do is start with just a little bit of a background on why it is you got into cars. Like what was it that inspired you and keeps you passionate about, you know, working on and being as involved with cars as you are today? Um. Yeah, I guess I can answer that. <laughs> um, I was yeah, mostly for uh, through my dad. Um, he was like a first generation Canadian. Uh, we didn't have a lot in common because I was uh, I was born here, so that would make me first generation Canadian. So what would he be? He was an immigrant, right? Immigrant, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, so you know he came from uh, from Serbia and he had his own life there, and Canada was kind of new to him. And I kind of grew up in this culture, so. The, uh, we didn't have a lot to talk about. Like he was crazy into soccer and I just couldn't get into soccer, even though he wanted me to play nonstop. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, it was just too much running. <laughs> um, but, uh, we could always, uh, work on cars or talk about cars. Um, like he always had these crappy old cars that just never seemed to work right. And he didn't have a clue how to fix them. Uh, so him and I would just be like in the uh, in the driveway and and you know a lot of swearing in a in a foreign language. So uh, <laughs> I didn't find it that offensive. But the uh, but yeah, it's it's just like oh, I was the guy who gave him 
tools and held the light in the right spot. And I was really good at it too. It's like I could, <laughs> I could, I could make lights bend around objects just so he could see where that little, uh, that little bulb was. Um, <laughs> and, awesome. uh, he was a heavy GM guy. Like he was just pure GM. He's like the only, that was the first car he bought when he got here. It was the only car he's only had GMs his entire life. Um, and you know, my first car was a Japanese car. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, what the hell is going on here? And it's just, I wouldn't go back. I'm just like, why would I want a car that's crappy and keeps breaking down all the time? (laughs) Like, fair. Uh, no. Uh, big and heavy and sucks gas. And and he always liked these big, giant, monster, behemoth vehicles. Like, they were always like a block long. Like, what did he have? What were some of his cars? Uh, he had a 74 Eldorado, Cadillac Eldorado. It was a two-door. Um, the front bumper weighed about 240 pounds. Uh, (laughs) this thing was, and it was a two door. Like you'd think it'd be small and it's 40, but no, you had the cram in the back seats and this door, like the door was like a block long, the door, like it weighed a ton to close it. You don't want to have the, the, the door slam on your, I was going to say, yeah, you lose all of your fingers as a kid. If it it closes on it, it was one of those things. Uh, and even the hood, it was like this massive hood. Um, and of course, after a couple of years, the springs that hold it up don't work. And you right. know, so he's got that wooden stick that he used. There's, there's no, there's <laughs> the no trusty point. wooden the stick. The trusty yeah. wooden stick that was just, and of course it fell once on his hand and it was a big trip to the hospital for him. Right. But the, uh, I don't know. Um, and uh, he kept that car for the, the longest time and actually drove it for uh, for a little while because he just left it in storage and ignored it. And then I got my driver's license and uh, the uh, I got the car I was driving when I um, uh, got my license was a Pontiac Grand Prix. And it was like had the five liter V8 rear wheel drive. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was cheap, so he would only put the snow tires on the back. <laughs> so you got lots of traction in the back but it just understeered everywhere until yeah. you lit up the wheels and then it oversteered like crazy um but what a gas guzzler that was <laughs> um but yeah that was uh that was fun we had a pontiac uh trans am uh which you know when i was 17 was a pretty cool car to have had the had the t-top and nice the thing it was stupid because it was like i look at it now and it's like yeah it's a five liter v8 yeah uh, 220 horsepower it's like what the <laughs> hell it's like two liter four cylinders make 200 horsepower now yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this thing was like a v8 it's like what was it what the hell was wrong with it now you're looking back was that was that in the era when everything was kind of being stifled because of all like the carbon emissions uh, rules that coming was like out of the mid eighties. It was yeah. like mid eighties, okay. and uh, you yeah. know, it, it was probably the last one that had the chicken on the hood, right? And and I think it was an eighty eight, maybe or eighty six or eighty seven, but whatever the last yeah. year. Was, my had my the dad had the exact same car. Yeah, brown with the gold fired chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I and then so you were saying, I mean, you were really into Japanese cars, which was a total one eighty from what your dad was into. Yeah. So what did you get into then? So as soon as you started kind of, you know, you were a part of all of this automotive upbringing with your dad and helping him out, you started seeing Japanese cars as being something interesting. What did you end up getting into? Like, what were some of your first rides? Uh, My very first car was a Mitsubishi, um, and it was by a company that no longer exists, Eagle. Ah, right. It was an Eagle Vista. Eagle Uh, Vista? I thought you were going to say it was a Talon, and I was like, of course, everybody knows the Talon. Yeah. A Vista. Uh, it was a Vista. I don't uh, even know what that looks like. Uh, it's a like it's square. Like if you were just to draw, give a kid a crayon, say draw a hatchback, <laughs> yeah. they would draw the squarest looking <laughs> hatchback uh, imaginable. Like imagine the old uh, Volkswagen um, Golf. Yeah. Uh, with square lights. Right. Like, that's what it was. It was just a square. No, rabbit. It was like a rabbit. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but uh, it had a Mitsubishi engine in it that I just beat on and ignored. And it just thrived on like abuse and neglect. Right. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, my mom had actually bought one uh, brand new. And uh, and it was great for her. Like it just went and went and went. And then I was borrowed her car. And I'm like, this this is actually this is way cooler than mine. And my dad at the time had a, had a Firebird. A white firebird which is another crappy crappy car um but uh yeah and then uh so was that like high like high school kind of no that era? was like university in high school okay. it was the the trans am oh right 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 uh, yeah and uh the uh grand prix nice uh, and then when i went to university um i needed a car to get around they didn't have a lot of money and this was 2200 bucks it was only nice. three years old yeah uh and at the time it's like they 
There was nothing else I could get. Like, nobody wanted this thing. Like, nobody. Nobody right. even knew what it was. Even the <laughs> dealer who had it was like, the hell is this? Yeah. Uh, there are probably, like, four of them in the country. Um, so they didn't know what they had. It had uh, a leak in the, um, on, the, uh, on the engine, which I ignored for the longest time. And eventually, I just replaced the head gasket, and that went away. <laughs> nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an awesome car. And I used it uh, between high school and university. I got a job as a, a courier. And uh, I put, I lived in this car for like 10, 12 hours a day, uh, just loading, like took the back seats out and just that's, loaded it with boxes. And that's awesome. Wailed through like the city of... Uh, Wait, was, was that here in Toronto? It was in Toronto. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. So, and, and was all of this, like all of this kind of growing up, like you were here based out, right out of Toronto? Yeah. I well, said, I right. grew up in uh, Etobicoke. Like we had a yeah. house like right on the lake near uh, near where Humber College is now. Gotcha. Um, okay. And then um, moved to a bit further down Lakeshore to closer to Parklawn. And then uh, we moved to an area called Markham and Woods in Etobicoke. Right. Went gotcha. to a school called Silverthorne Ghost Spartan. Oh, all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm so uh, I, I, I'm so poorly versed in the schools of Toronto because I grew up so far from it. But um, okay. So... Uh, what was after I the still Vista? Hate Richview. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, there was a rivalry. What was, what was after the Vista? Um, after the Vista, I moved to Asia, so I sold it. Uh, I bought it for like 2,200 bucks and I beat on it for three years and I put it into an auction, uh, and got 1,900 bucks. No kidding. Uh, yeah. And, wow. uh, that was the summer where like, I really didn't give a crap about it cause it was like, uh, I was leaving the country and I was working as a courier trying to make, uh, make money. Uh, to, to leave the country because I had a job overseas in Asia. Uh, and uh, yeah, then I moved to Asia for two years and then uh, then uh, came back. And then I bought the worst car I've ever owned, which was uh, a diesel Volkswagen Golf. Um, <laughs> hang on though, hang on though. I, yeah. I got to rewind a little bit back to yeah. when you said that you put it in an auction. So, yeah. I mean, when would this have been? This would have been how many years ago? Uh, I left in 95. So I probably had the right. car from like, 92 to 95 okay because to me that strikes me as being super interesting because right now you know the world online right now like stuff like bring a trailer we talk mm -hmm. about a lot on the show i mean it's totally taken off mm -hmm. uh so you were way ahead of your time and putting it into an auction was obviously something that you know you thought was going to be worthwhile what kind of auction was it? I mean, was this a was it a dealer auction or were, like I just am not sure what auction you would have put it in back then. Like the well, internet back just then wasn't it was like you just had the, there was like in the wheel section they would always have hey come to this car auction. No shit. Go. And wow. my brother actually bought a car at the exact same auction like a year or two later. Huh. Uh, and yeah, you can just you just go in and they put the cars up and the mileage is uh, is there and you walk around you can kick it. And, um, they drive <laughs> in they drive out but you don't know if they're any any good or not. Right, right, yeah, uh, yeah. And for whatever reason somebody was willing to pay nineteen. That's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, I had put I had put like well over a hundred thousand kilometers on this thing. I think I bought it with like seventy thousand kilometers and sold it for that one seventy eight. And all you replaced was a head leaky head gasket. A leaky head gasket. Yeah, right. I never did the brakes. I never did the suspension. I never did any. I changed the oil religiously. Yeah. Uh, but well, that's very that's uh, that's very responsible of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that car just thrived on abuse and neglect. No, I put like massive round fog lights. Nice. That were like the off-road type. Yeah. But they look like fog lights. <laughs> uh, and I put them to different switches. Awesome. So you could actually, when you switch them back and forth and turn the high beams on and off, you could totally fake being a cop. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you never did that. Of I'm pretty sure that would be statute of limitations and, uh, passed by now, so you're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Okay, we're back. Um, okay, so next car up after after um, the Vista was diesel Volkswagen Jetta? Golf. Golf. Yeah. yeah, it was a two door hatchback. It was blue. Uh, the thing probably had uh, at most sixty five horsepower or something. Like it was, it was got like gobs of torque, uh, but like you had to plan getting onto a highway and merging. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But that's not what made it bad. What made it bad was it was just such a money pit. Like the thing never worked. The coils constantly died on you. Uh, and uh, at some point, it's like I got rid of it for fifty bucks more. Than, and I had oh, spent shit. like two thousand dollars on it over the summer, uh, <laughs> fixing it and getting it running and everything else. But the wiring on it was just a nightmare. Uh, like the the starter was going, and I had all these weird hacks that I was 
running, you know, extra power to the starter. And, and like the starters were good for like six months and it just, and the headlights were so dim. Like the, it just wasn't generating electricity for some reason. What, uh, what, what year was it? Uh, that was in 88, which was okay. actually older than my Vista was. So, oh, right. but I'm thought, Hey, cause my uh, grandfather had a, a diesel Mercedes and he swore by it. And the thing was awesome in the sense that, you know, it was like 14 bucks to fill up back in the day. Uh, and that 14 bucks got you a thousand kilometers. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Right. I would it just fill it up every forever. couple of weeks. Like, and That's you could brilliant. drive that thing every day. Yeah. The cost of diesel. If it started, point. if it started, right. if it, if right. you could get the thing to turn over and it wouldn't work in the wintertime, like block heater, nothing, nothing you did could get this thing to work in the wintertime. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was a real, a real frustrating car. Uh, and when I decided to get rid of it, I'd uh, gotten a job in, uh, Vancouver. Uh, and I wanted my car over there. So, uh, my girlfriend, who's my wife at the time, and is now my wife, but the, uh, uh, she was going to drive it across the country with her dad. Cause you know, her dad always wanted to see the country and cool. this epic trip. And, like, and, uh... <laughs> and I wanted my car and I'm like, yeah, that's like what? Four tanks of gas. It's an easy piece. Of <laughs> uh, but, uh, it just died on the side of the road in, uh, I think it was like Thunder Bay. Uh, right. And they had to tow it for like six, seven hours back to uh, Mississauga, where I was living at the time. And I'm just like, that is not going to work. That's uh, terrible. And and the amount of money that was it was sucking up was just it was insane. And the fact that it just didn't work. Yeah, I, um, without reliability, I think we can all relate to in terms of like where we've gotten to in our lives and cars yeah, but that it, we want. That car made me not only hate uh, that car. Like, I hated Volkswagens in general. Like, I hated everything with the VW badge. To me, it was like this evil <laughs> Nazi vehicle that was <laughs> just out to kill people. Like, it was, yeah. it was like, it was, like it was such malicious. a bad thing. And then to the extent where it's like I hated German cars. Um, wow. Like my yeah, hatred they ran just deep. Explained, like, it just expanded to everything German. Because it was, it was retarded that I would have to spend, you know, $365 on a starter Back when, like, for the Vista, that would have been 45 bucks. Right. Um, and it made no sense. <clears throat> well, because it's a Bosch. Well, screw Bosch. I don't, I don't have to be. I don't, what? <laughs> but, I mean, it must not have run that deep for that long because what are you driving now? Uh, I do have a BMW. Yes. Um, but you, you, with... have a, you have a BMW that's not just your everyday run-of-the-mill BMW either. No, no, I probably built up the fastest three series in the country. Like I, uh, the, but again, it's just, I have this thing with German cars. Like that car went through three sets of turbos under warranty, three sets. Cause it was a, it was, a, I mean, in, you know, air quotes is a three thirty five. So that twin turbo V six, then not a V it's a inline, oh. inline six. Oh, sorry. Okay. But it right. is a three inline, inline six. Right. And that's. 300 hum and how it many? comes stock with 300 horsepower which is right. the crank so i would say that's like 260 ish on w sure um but you went through three three sets of stock so, turbos okay so you went through six turbos on that car on that car uh all under warranty all under warranty so the dealer had to deal with it and that was nothing in terms of like you hadn't been like pushing it like of I have. What the hell? Tune in. <laughs> I track this thing every freaking weekend. Like that's why they blew. Like the problem with those right. cars was the turbos were so small. Like when I pulled them out, they're the size of your fist. Like they yeah, are okay. they're too teeny weeny, and they're great. You go for a test drive, and it's like, oh wow, this pulls up very fast. This is awesome. I like this car a lot. But what happens with that when you're when you're revving the snot out of it? Like when you're running the thing to redline for half hour stints on the track. Uh, and it didn't matter that I put a massive uh, oil cooler on it. It had like a stepped uh, intercooler that was like double the capacity. No uh, kidding. And like it was, I did everything I needed to do to make this thing reliable and it wouldn't hold together. So, you know, I'm a BMW driver, but, you know, I drive around a lot of rental cars because that's the nature of owning a, that BMW. Um, and what, then, it ha what does it have now? Because it's not, it's no. not a twin turbo anymore. Yeah, my goal with that car was never to put anything German back into the car uh, <laughs> that I would take out. Cause, okay. And, and yeah, so it's like the intercooler came from another country. Like suspension was Scandinavian. Um, what suspension's like, on it? Uh, JRZs. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, like, but I just refused to buy German parts. Like, once the warranty ran out and the turbos went for the third time, and the yeah. dealer says, no, you're, they're, yeah. they're, 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 you got to pay for these. And I'm like, well, how much is it? And they, like, $7,000 they wanted to replace uh. the turbos. At first, they were like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm like, well, the check engine light's on and it has no power. Meanwhile, it's like I've run all the codes. And, yeah, you yeah. Know, I've hacked that ECU, like, you know, early, early, early on. Um, and, uh, you know, they replaced the ECU, they replaced all this other stuff. And you know what they told me? They told me it's your airbox. They wow. said, yeah, that's not a, that's an aftermarket airbox. It was a diamond carbon fiber airbox that I put on it. And I had to sit there and draw a picture <laughs> for the guy, how a turbo system works. I'm like, I don't need an airbox. I don't need an airbox. I can take the whole airbox off. And this car should run. That's the equivalent of saying, you know, my headlights don't work. Well, it's because your rear floor mats are dirty and not in right. <laughs> that's you put, amazing. You aftermarket that's what you should have told them. It's like, that's the equivalent. It's right. like, and they gave it back to me. And this was after they, they said they had 30 hours of diagnostic. Wow. I'm like, 30 hours of diagnostic. And that's what you figured out. This is what you tell and me. You and well I knew damn well. Because you know what a broken turbo sounds like. I've had three of them yeah. from this exact car. Right. Uh, and you know that I've done that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but event, like, eventually, I just I pulled it out. And uh, they wanted that much money for it. But like I race cars. So it's like the uh, the my turbo uh, builder, Paul Bohan from uh, Split Fire uh, Performance mm-hmm. in Brampton. Like He's built all my turbos from like day one. Amazing. Uh, is that what's on there now? Yeah. So it's a, it's a split fire built and designed. Uh, it's a one-off. Like no one else wow. has this one. Uh, and it's mostly had to be that way because the size of it. Like the, this turbo is bigger than my head. The <laughs> intake tube. Like the intake tube. Just like where you where the filter goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a picture of it. I think it was on Facebook too where I took that broken turbo where they said there was nothing wrong with it. And I had a little video of that the, the propeller not spinning and it was bent to shit oh, and man. then you know i sent it to them even. <laughs> not that they care because they just wanted me out yeah uh, and i think that's what i find with bmws is like once they're off a of warranty nobody really brings their cars back to them uh and i think mm-hmm. they realized that i wasn't going to come back so they weren't so gonna... yeah, we lost them yeah. Lo- that loyalty loop stopped there stopped there <laughs> um but in and like right now the most reliable thing on that car is, is paul's turbo system like it is by far the most reliable thing on it um and uh it the turbo's bigger than my head uh has massive spools so it comes on hard and fast so you go from like 120 horsepower to 400 wow. in like a 400 rpm range like, jesus so um, when does when do you get boost uh it's around 3000 nice okay which is fine for track driving because you're always in yeah boost. Uh, and uh, and it comes on on really hard, and the efficiency of it just blows me away. So uh, like the stock turbos, I had cranked up I think to like 25, 26 psi, which factory I think is 14. Uh, so yeah. I was running close to double. Yeah, the <laughs> right, recommended right. right. You're um, making them work for their money. I made them work. Yeah. Um, I wasn't nice to them either because. I mean, who's nice to turbos? Yeah. It's not what they're there for. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But this one was massive. And uh, like the first dyno run that we did on it was running 10 PSI just as a baseline to see what it would do. And it had put down like 350 at the wheel. Wow. Wow. At the wheels. That's below factory boost. Uh, At factory boost, it made over 400 horsepower at 18 PSI, which is only 4 PSI over boost it was over 500 horsepower oh my god uh and and it was a big fat lazy turbo like that's the thing that i found with turbos like my first turbo car was a a civic ek uh that we had a b20 vtec uh and we put like a really small turbo on it uh, which lasted me because the way you I mean VTEC alone wasn't enough for you? No, this was super VTEC, <laughs> um, and that just it just didn't last. Like uh, it burnt out really fast. Yeah, uh, and then Paul's like, "This isn't the car. This isn't the turbo you need." And he put like this massive turbo, and we had the fastest front wheel drive Civic uh, in the country for two straight years. No kidding! Um, I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah. Were you like that was a drag car? No, that was, was a track car. Paul is a drag guy. Yeah, uh, that's what we I... get him to do our motors, and then we do all the uh, oh, suspension settings okay. and stuff like that. Right. But we were running uh, 12 inch bias ply slicks in the front, 
and 10 inch bias ply slicks in the back just to keep this power down. This was 450 horsepower. In an EK hatch? EK hatch. Oh my God. Um, the wow. thing didn't, like the tires didn't fit, obviously. Yeah. So, you know, of course we did our trackside fender ruling, yeah, right. uh, which involved uh, pliers. As I say, pliers, <laughs> a baseball, baseball bat, bat, a cry, a cry, like a yeah. pry bar. <laughs> yeah. So, because it was just, it was just rubbing. So we we're like, yeah, screw this. We we're just cutting the cutting the fender uh, wheel wells like right out, um, and uh, took it to Paul. And Paul went to like a, a four by four store and uh, got those rubber like four by four wheel covers like they you know they right. screw them on like yeah, you yeah. lift them on you screw them straight into the body and, and that was that and hey now we got now fenders. you got a wide body EK. i got a wide body ek for <laughs> like 36 dollars awesome. <laughs> yeah, i love it and this car it. was ugly like it was ugly like we were having some like the amount of heat that we were generating we were melting our tires oh um, my god yeah so like the the uh so it was in and you know these tires were melting we couldn't figure out why um and we thought there were manufacturer issues the manufacturer got involved and and it wasn't that but uh, as soon as we put like heat shielding around the, the wheel well like the, the problem went away but this thing was generating like two g's in the corners in the civic um, oh man and the thing with the car was it was never like this was came factory with 97 horsepower which is probably like 76 at the wheel like it was not, right that's what it was like it was a better car than the eg in the sense that it was stiffer it had a lot it used a I lot always of heard the, that yeah the s2000 technology like when they were building the s2000 they had you know stiff in the chassis and mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. it was heavier which a lot of drag guys didn't like so they were always more into the uh the egs but the track guys preferred the stiffer uh ek chassis and then um but it was just like it was how far can we we take this because yeah. here's the problem it's like all right so you take the car out day one you've blown everything rubber like any rubber bushing is done you take them out you press in solid bushing you put it back in wow uh, but now all you've done is move the problem to the subframe sure yeah and it just then, keeps on moving and, and then yeah, the right. subframe bends and then okay so let's put reinforcement bars right. and then you bend the reinforcement bars and then you go in with a welder and you just start putting in bracing <laughs> right, right. Uh, just to keep these this thing going and right. uh, and the amount of chassis flex that we were getting and uh, like it was so fun. then the car was never meant to do two G's in corners where does so where does that end once you get the chassis completely figured out and everything's as stiff as it can possibly be is it then you're looking at like the amount of pressure and the amount of flex that's like being forced down to axles or being forced onto other components of the car. Like well, something we started bending, like we started because it's a unibody, like we started bending the body. And right. you know, at some point, you can only cut out the subframe so many times right. until you realize, all right, well, maybe, maybe if I want this much power, I should have it in a different car. Okay, so yeah. that's a that's great because then. Is that when you made the move into uh, the... That's when we went to rear-wheel drive with uh, with uh, 57 uh, Lotus Super 7. And it originally came with an RX-7 rotary motor. It was a screamer. We had a race motor and we had the stock motor. The race motor ran up to 13,000 RPM. Oh, man. Um, yeah, the they thing... just... They're like a street bike. Yeah. What I loved about it is like the weight is down low. Uh, weighs almost nothing. Um, and it's center in, in the body. Uh, and it's so easy to, to go. Like, And when it starts, it's... Uh, have a theme with cars that don't start uh it <laughs> runs amazing and the thing when they blow because they blow so often like the rotaries are such a pain right I've, they, I've heard that a yeah. lot yeah um but when they blow it's like so undramatic because it just stalls mm. and that's that and then a rebuild is involved like you take out six bolts and you replace a little thing and then it's running again <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's uh right. dead simple to rebuild it's still use. like black magic to me like i yeah. really just don't it's just the, the world of rotary like yeah. i understand how it works yeah but racing Note one rebuilding one all horsepower uh and we always had the stock motor which was reliable but it made very little horsepower i think it was like 127 horsepower but keep in mind this was like a 1250 pound chassis i was gonna say yeah that's uh, a and light. we were running a slick uh, yeah a bias by slick so yeah. this this was the fastest rear wheel drive car uh in competition i'd run uh, casc uh, time attack um so the uh because yeah there was a one season we ran it and uh, uh i went to six events i think there were eight total uh, and of the six events, I set FTD four times. Wow. Uh, and the two times I didn't set FTD, the car broke down. No uh, shit. So. <laughs> and so, you know, just to give some context to everybody listening, like what were the cars that you were constantly either battling 
for you know the battling for the, the win uh, against or were constantly i mean well, like most the corvette of your Z06, there was a 240z that had a corvette drivetrain in it was that um, sash's car was no that? this was a guy named adam okay uh and uh, he uh yeah he had just put uh no actually he didn't have a uh, no he put a massive turbo on it like he put mm. the nissan truck motor in it yeah that k24 something yeah steel yeah, block yeah. Yeah, and, and then he put the biggest turbo you could find, and then I think he couldn't get that system to work, and then he put the uh, the Corvette drivetrain in it. Um, Crazy. Yeah. So it was. Uh, it's like a it's like really common that LS swap is yeah. like you know yeah. put it. It's like you know the funniest thing though was now. running the Civic, which was you know uh, basically the car was donated to us. It was probably worth only. It was a rolling shell. Like we were running CRXs for a number of years, and then. In a seven-month span, I rode off three CRXs, and there aren't that many of these cars yeah. in the country. Well, you scared the shit out of me the first time that I met you at that had a you know <laughs> car control school in yeah. your CRX, and I got to go for a ride along with yeah. you. I got that out car of it was just... more Type R than it was CRX. Oh man, it was bonkers! It was bonkers on another like, cross track. Type R dashboard in it. It had the Type R wiring. Like, yeah. It was taken down to its base and rebuilt as if it was a Type R. Like, it had an identity crisis. It had no idea what it was. Like it was, <laughs> it was. What am I? I got an uh, Acura motor. It was. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, but uh, so on the on the Super Seven though, now what it's evolved to, there's no longer that RX Seven. Uh, no, we got that tired of uh, dealing with because we the race motors would only last like two or three weekends. Um, God, that's and, wild. Uh, and they were amazing when they worked, but just getting they just would we just couldn't keep it together. And keep in mind, this is a, was a carbureted car too, so it's pretty hard to tune. And right, and you know we were running extra fuel just to try to keep it safe. Uh, and the biggest annoyance I found with the uh, running, uh, like they were loud. Like I had to wear earplugs loud. Uh, <laughs> and you know where it's like we got complaints. Um, right. Ron Fellows was at Mossport once when we were there, and he went to the organizers and says, "I never want to see that car here again." No kidding. Uh, you could hear it. You could. I when I was in the pits and the guy I was partnered with Martin, he was driving. I could hear him on turn five wow. from the pit. Like the, the opposite end of the track. Opposite end yeah. of the track. Um, and I was like a kilometer and a half away. Like it was, it was loud. <laughs> uh, I know some of the residents from around there have complained about that. So there's, yeah, yeah. there's the decibel restrictions, yeah. I think. On... And the thing wouldn't keep mufflers together. It was the amount of air that was forced through this muffler. The insides of these mufflers were just gutted after a couple events. Like they, <laughs> they literally, you'd be pulling baffling out of the tailpipe. That's crazy. Uh, just because they just wouldn't stay together. You knew when you were blowing them because it just got even louder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we ended up running a resonator and a muffler, uh, and they allowed us to compete. But <laughs> but even then, it's like the thing ran to 13,000. You know what they do? That They do the sound checks, right? So they uh, they say, ah, oh, we need you to run it to uh, two-thirds of what red line is. And this thing right. ran to 13,000 RPM. Right. But we told them that the red line was 6,500. So yeah. we only had to rev it to like 4,000. Okay. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it sounds fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. And the muffler was on the other side when you were driving past the pits. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that, was, that was something. And then eventually, like, we ditched that drivetrain and went to an S2000 uh, drivetrain uh, just for the reliability of it. And the, the S2000 was just bulletproof. Like, uh, you just beat the snot out of it all day long. The, right. You notice right also, away that also it was a really high revving motor. Yeah, that was nine thousand. I think we ran it to ninety five hundred. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, and uh, but of course, you know, you got the need for speed. So eventually, on went a turbo. Of course. Uh, yeah. And uh, then uh, you know we got to see how much we can push it. And this is an old chassis, and the weld started to go, and uh, and like the chassis took the power a lot better than the Civic did. Um, but the, at some point it was just like, when you're like, we were at the track, uh, at, uh, Shannonville once, uh, competing and all of a sudden the car just went a different direction. You could see the wheel had just kind of changed. The rear wheel had just changed its arc and pull off into the pits and realized that we'd ripped the subframe in the back completely. Oh like, man. It was a massive weld. So we're like, damn, like we haven't had a timed run yet. We got to do something. So uh, somebody was like, hey, go into town, see if you can find uh, a welder. So we go into town. Come on. And uh, they're like, yeah, there's a welder, and uh, he's in the uh, Indian Reserve. 
Uh, and we're like, all right, and they gave us his address, and we went. And as soon as you pulled into this guy's driveway, it had a huge sign on it that says, no police allowed on this property. <laughs> and we walk in, knock on the door, and says, hey, uh, we're competing on the track. I heard you had a portable welder. Is there any way we can get you to come over and just tack weld our subframe and stuff? And they're like, are you cops? <laughs> and meanwhile, like, we're looking around, because this is, like, in the middle of middle the of woods. And, and right. these people look mean. Right? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And, you know, I do look like a cop, so I can't explain <laughs> yeah, You know what? You throw a <laughs> set of aviators on I think people <laughs> would be a little bit concerned. Uh, yeah, but anyway, I gave him a hundred bucks. He welded our car. We finished the event, and, uh, and no kidding. Yeah. Wow. Um, but, and you know, I think that weld that he did was probably the strongest part of the car afterwards because like he just <laughs> laid it on. Like he was under there for like twenty minutes. I'm like, what the hell? You just need to do a little weld. But Man, he's make I think sure he rebuilt the entire subframe out of like welding material. I don't know what he did. <laughs> uh, that didn't break afterwards. Awesome. Um, but yeah, and eventually we went with a turbo. Uh, we got the thing up to over 550 horsepower and realized that Whoa. it was just not drivable. Um, wow. We just couldn't get the power. The car was ridiculously light. Uh, and even with like massive slicks on the back, they were the thing, as soon as he hit boost, they just lit up the wheel. Just get just, squirrely? Just smoke. Like driving in a straight line involved turning your hands a lot. Like the, the, yeah. the amount of steering input you need to drive straight was like retarded. Uh, and we turned it down to uh, 450, and our lap times dropped by two seconds a lap. So you can just see how much more confidence you have in the car when it's uh, when it's set right. up. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, and eventually I crashed that car. Uh, I have a tendency to crash cars every five years, and it seems to be on the five. <laughs> oh no! no. I crash. Uh, right well, I, you know, knock on wood that you know you stay safe in every five-year crash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always just like uh, yeah, your neck's a little sore the next day, and that's uh, that's about it. But with this one, you know, I told my wife that yeah, you kind of skimmed the wall, which I did. Um, I didn't tell her it was at 140 kilometers an hour. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and uh, you know, it was on the, the back straight of Mossport. I crashed on turn six. Uh, which most people go, there is no turn six. It goes from five to eight. Uh, but no, it was like running slicks. It was, wasn't was raining, but the track was wet. Mm-hmm. I was still getting grip. Like mm-hmm. when I went through the data, I still had like 1.7 Gs uh, going through turn five. But what happened was the Mossport has this little bump just before. Um, and, and because I wasn't revving the motor out because mm-hmm. uh, it's rain, you can't just drop the hammer. Uh, yeah. You need get to wheel go, spin. Yeah, as you... you need to get the car straight before you can start easing on the power. Yep. But because we had these massive turbos, when they spool, they kick. So you go from a little bit of horsepower to a lot. Yeah. Uh, and for whatever reason, like every single lap during that session, the turbo kicked in either before that bump or after the bump. The time I crashed is when I hit the bump. Because you could see the video. The front suspension goes up, and then it goes down. And then the turbo spools up because you can see the RPM jump. Right. And then the wheels just lost traction enough to kick the car like a couple inches to one side, but the wall is like right there. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, spun three times. It wasn't a direct hit, so spun three times, and uh, and that was that. The, we could have fixed it. Like it was, I lost the front splitter, I lost the nose cone, lost the rat. Like all of those things could have been, and I bent the frame a little bit, but the thing is it's a tube frame chassis, so yeah, you just need an angle grinder and a welder, and it's Deep. fixed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's just like, you know, I have kid now, and I gotta be responsible. Yeah, you gotta think about those things. Yeah, and the, and even those those cars, like they were never built to to crash. Like you just weren't. And the age of it, like it was starting to get old. Like when you start losing, when your subframe starts to fall apart, and you're kind of yeah, like, this is probably the end of its life cycle. Yeah, yeah, the uh, degradation course, is. If it's has gonna happened. go. It's gonna go in a in a crash, and it did. Um, oh yeah, don't tell my wife. I, yeah. well, I won't, as yeah. long as she doesn't listen to this yeah. show. I, said, I, I skimmed the wall. I skimmed the wall. Skimmed the wall. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it was like, what do you do? Like, uh, where where do you go from there? Like, we love the um, we love the S2000 drivetrain and the turbo. Like, mm-hmm. we had a very well-sorted mm-hmm. uh, uh, drivetrain. Um, we had all of the electronics to run it because it was like a standalone. Um, we had the full AEM. We had like the full race suspension. Like the thing was, it was dialed in. We sorted out all the aero that it needed to sort out. Uh, so we took the original S2000 uh, design and there was a guy, um, uh, Keith Quinn, who was just kind of tinkering around on, uh, it was like a CAD software that he was using. Uh, but he had this idea because his brother had the Lotus uh, 211. 
um, and like my big problem with the S3 with the Super 7 was the door sills were like at your waist, right? Like you're from the waist up, you're like completely exposed. Wide like open, my right? My elbow was hitting the rear tire. Like oh my that's, God. That's how tight it was. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's like I wanted a wider car and I also wanted to have some kind of crash protection because, you know, as safe as, you know, thin aluminum sheeting is, <laughs> uh, I didn't want to do like even in the old car though it's like we did take the safety seriously like because it came with a with a cage but mm-hmm. then we went and we built a exoskeleton around the cage yeah i thought um, i remember seeing the photos yeah, of that so we had like a cage on top of our cage yeah yeah uh, and it was just like whatever it worked actually because even in the crash you could see how the exoskeleton absorbed all the all the impact from it and uh and protected the protected the chassis so uh it was keith's idea to build this uh to kind of do sorry a, and who's who's keith Keith is uh, like a brother of a good friend of mine. Nice. Um, okay. And so he's been involved in this kind of with you. Yeah, he started it, and uh, okay. like he had the idea for, you know, because I wanted the door sills up. So he took the original car, and you can see like uh, even on uh, the website, like you can see the original uh, the uh, Super Seven chassis in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but then there was a second set of tubes that kind of went up uh, and mimicked what the two eleven did. Like when you sit in a two eleven, it's just like the 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 doors are at your shoulders. Right. So that's where this is. Yeah. Uh, but we went even further. Like the uh, the you know like the drag cars, how they have the two hoops around your head. Yep. So when we designed the uh, the roll cage, it has now two hoops. Like my head sits in beside inside two two uh, hoops. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, and then put a full containment seat on it, and then uh, created crash boxes on the side. So now I don't have to because what we were doing because you know the yes the uh, the uh, super seven has this really small nose cone, mm-hmm. and that nose cone had to feel an oil fuel uh, fuel an oil cooler. Uh, had to feel um, um, like an intercooler and the radiator. So these were like stacked on top of each other. So right, it had to go through all of that before it worked. So now we moved them off to the side. We put these crash boxes off to the side. So it's much like pots, like, you know, Formula One. Yeah, pots. yeah. Like they just move all their cooling off to the side. So we moved it out of the oh, body cool. and off into these crash boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the crash boxes are slightly thinner uh, metal because they're designed to absorb the impact. Uh, and then you've got this super stiff chassis that we designed uh, around it uh, too. And you've got this double halo around your head. Like, yeah. Uh, this thing was this thing was meant to. And now is that the car that's in that's the Waterloo right now? Set. Yeah. Sorry, it's the supersonic set. Supersonic yeah. seven. Nice. The, when we put the turbo on the other one, we called it the super duper seven. <laughs> uh, but this one's going supersonic. So it, it's still the super duper seven, but it's the super duper sonic seven. If it has the same drivetrain, has a, yeah, it has the okay. super duper drivetrain. Yeah, uh, but it's now <laughs> <Awesome>. sonic. <laughs> We've upped the sonic level. That's on it. Awesome. And so that is that car is at uh, your chassis builders. Yeah, Weber. Shop in uh, yeah, Weber chassis. Um, he's in uh, in Waterloo, or just uh, just east of Waterloo, and uh, he's awesome. uh, yeah Garth Webb, uh, and fantastic guy to, to work with. Like, like this guy is probably the archive. only of its kind out there. Uh, in that area, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's other chassis builders. Uh, yeah. Oh no, sorry. I meant though the the actual the the super super sonic seven. Yeah, it's a one off. Uh, yeah, I started from scratch. Uh, this came. I mean, this I, was this was nothing. This was like an idea. And, I saw and, the the progress yeah. of that on. Uh, I think you'd posted a lot of it on fa- on your Facebook channel. And to everybody listening, I'll make sure that um, I get as many of those photos as I can, and I'll mm-hmm. make sure that they're on the bucket seat blog, um, just in the show notes, so you guys can check that out too. Because it was to me, it was fascinating, and it's what reminded me to be like, yeah, we've got to get Miles on the show because seeing all of that, like the development of it. This isn't just something that's being built in someone's, you know, backyard and yeah. in their garage. I mean, that was a feat of engineering on its own just to see from the photos alone. Yeah. Well, it's like I'm not afraid to rip things apart and build them back up in a better way. Like the that CRX that you were in at the first time, yeah. like that thing was gutted and then built back up to be a Type R. So it was like a 2,200-pound Type R, like uh, with a short wheelbase that was twitchy as hell. Like that's how I learned to drive was on really twitchy, unforgiving cars. Uh, (laughs) So you learn a lot of car control really fast Mm -hmm. uh, when you want to live. Uh, It's a a hell of a motivation. It's a survival tactic. Yeah, Yeah. it's a survival tactic. So you learn learn how not to die, basically. Right. Um, So, yeah, so so this this car, uh, and we had uh, Derek Hansen from, uh, you remember? Car Control School. Yeah, the Car Control School, the Hansen Driving School. Mm -hmm. Uh, His son runs that. Uh, But before he was, uh, because he... uh, 
he's an instructor for Ferrari. He's an instructor for the BMW. Like he's the head instructor for that. Oh, I didn't know um, that. Okay. And he also had he's uh, he before he like because now he's retired. So this is kind of what he's doing as a, as a hobby. Before that, he was uh, remember Dech Mustangs, D E C H. Deck. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember. Well, I remember seeing the He's brand the, of them. I'm not super familiar yeah. with the cars and what they really represented, but he did the arrow work for that. Like he's mm. the DE. The DE is Derek, uh, uh, and uh, he. Uh, so he he eats, sleeps, breathes arrow. Like he knows wow. arrow. So he he's the one that uh, went through the full arrow on uh, on the supersonic. Uh, he designed uh, like the rear diffusers are one off. It's his design. It's base. It's meant to put maximum downforce on those rear wheels, uh, right at the axles. Uh, the wow. way he designed it. Um, and you know, also if you start looking around the car, you can see all these little details. Like the the, the bottom pan sticks out just the right amount, and there's like a, a, an arrow elbow up in the front, and uh, and uh, you know, completely flat bottom. And uh, he's, uh, I don't know, he, he's nicknamed the car 119 uh, because the old car, the quickest time I did at Mossboro was a 124.66, which is quicker than 124. A 124.66. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he uh, thinks this is going to be the, the he's 119, a 119 car? car. He's like, if you don't get 119 in this car, I'm going to be very disappointed. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's so, good. He's yeah, like yeah. set some ambitious goals for you. Yeah. So he's nicknamed it the 119. Uh, yeah, and it's weird because it's going to Mossport this weekend, so it's, oh, there's nice. no way I'm doing it. Okay, so the car is complete <laughs> at this point. It's yeah. it'll be it'll be I've done. done. Two track days just to kind of test it out, sort it out, and you know, found a bunch of little right. niggles to do it. And then uh, this weekend, I'm teaching at the uh, the BMW school uh, at Mossport as at well. Mossport, yeah. So I'm gonna take it uh, take our Canadian tire motorsport park. Yeah, I know. I still kind of I really don't refer to it as that in my yeah. mind. It's still always Mossport, Mossport. Yeah, Cuz you're involved with that naming exercise. Right? I was not involved <laughs> with that. When I arrived, right. that was already baked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think they should have called it Canadian Tire Mossport Park, if yeah. anything. Yeah. As an homage to its original. Well, what name. Mossport is is motorsport park. We won't even yeah. we won't even get off on but yeah. I think what I wanted to um to talk about because again for everybody who's kind of been following along in this um they're you know everyone i'm sure is fascinated with the build of the cars why these cars have been built and of course what you're up to but i mean it's really um i, I think it's it's really important for everyone to also understand that it's not like you're going out there and you've just kind of been you have been self-taught to a certain extent mm -hmm. but um you're also not just going out and just running track days and and building your car on top of all of that, you are a well-accomplished race instructor. And as I mm -hmm. kind of alluded to at the beginning of the show, you're also a race instructor teaching race instructors I how teach to people, race instruct. I teach people how to instruct people how to instruct. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Yeah. yeah. You're the teacher teaching the teachers. That's right. So I sign off. If they want to be uh, like a get a, a license to instruct, like they got to get approved through a guy like me. Right. And so now what kind of um, like what is the, the governing body that kind of controls and rules that in um, Canada? That's through uh, CASC and ASN. Right. Um, so they're they and started CASC, licensing drivers. Canadian um, Auto Sport. Can Auto Sport Association of Canada. Something like that. Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. That didn't that didn't work out when I just yeah. did it in my head. But um, and so they're the governing body for it all. Um, now you obviously kind of went through a really rigorous testing kind of process to make sure that you're qualified for it. Mm -hmm. um, you've been accredited with all of that, and now um, so you're teaching at like what are some of the? I know you said you're going to be teaching um, at a BMW school coming up this weekend. Yeah. Like what other are some of those other examples of what you're up um, to and where you're teaching? Yeah, this year I taught at a Ferrari school as well. Wow, um, it was kind of neat getting into a, a Ferrari. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and. Um, yeah, no, like I, uh, I taught for Hada for a long time. Like I've done events for the SPDA uh, in uh, Quebec through uh, track racing, which is now Asia uh, Track School. Um, I've done like a number of door-to-door -door schools over the years, and, and uh, yeah, no, I've got I've got ample ample seat time. That's amazing. So yeah. to um, to those who are interested in getting into uh, a car with someone to learn a bit more of how to. Um, you know, not only control a car, but kind of take a car to its limit, understand thresholds, um, and mm -hmm. even, you know, just for daily driving purposes, but also for getting out 
uh, knowing you know how your vehicle behaves, um, maybe getting into some autocross to start, mm-hmm. then getting into maybe some lapping days, um, and if you ever eventually want to get into it, actually doing some racing. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend the kind of steps are, kind of the progress that you should take if that's something that you're interested in? Um, well, I can tell you my story because when I got into uh, racing after I bought my first uh, first race car. Um, like it was just something I really wanted to do for a really long time and I gave myself an excuse and I went and I bought my first track car right. uh, and in the first year I started competing I had done like five or six driving schools wow, uh, wow. and I won rookie of the year the first time out that I was like awesome. ranked uh, fourth um, in Ontario mm-hmm. like my first year out. <laughs> wow. yeah. um, but it's like get as many people in the car as you can uh, everyone has a different driving style. Um, I'm pretty good in the sense that I'm flexible because I've done front wheel drive cars and rear wheel drive cars and four wheel drive cars. Like I've done uh, everything. Right. Uh, so I can get into any car. I can teach any person how to get the most uh, most out of it. Um, but the sooner you get people, as soon as you the sooner you can get on the track without picking up bad habits, the better. Uh, going to the track by yourself when you're not ready uh, is not a good idea. And what the what I like about like the Trillium BMW school that I'm teaching at this weekend is uh, like they don't let you just show up and lap. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to go through the school and the school has three groups. You have to start in C group and then once an instructor says you're okay for B then they'll put you in B group and right. then once you're okay for B. But usually you'll have to do five or six schools before they'll let you lap. Um, which is cool, uh, because that's the progression that it should. Yeah, be. I think um, it makes it makes a lot of sense because it, to get on one of those big tracks. I mean, I, admittedly, I got on the big track at Most Sport really with very little instruction ever mm-hmm. in a three hundred and thirty horse rear wheel drive sports car. Yeah, and, and uh, I was. I mean, I think I'm a very uh responsible driver especially on a track like that but there are there were so many things that were a really intimidating right Mm -hmm. off the bat to get on a track like that and have other cars that were there were some pretty fast cars out there on Mm -hmm. the track the same day as i was but i didn't even understand the etiquette of being on a track and i feel like that alone you shouldn't be allowed on a track without understanding in the first I mean, place. Even knowing what a flag is, like what's this color? It's like, oh, why is he waving a pretty red flag? Yeah, right. Why is he a black flag yeah. right there? Waving, pointing uh, at me. Why is he pointing at me? Get that away from me. Yeah. There's a why guy just like, flies? There's He's a guy just, just waving to me from yeah. his car ahead yeah. of me, you know. But I'm yeah. just gonna stay behind him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why is there a train of cars behind me? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean that's obviously not what I should. But yeah, the sooner I can get into to uh, a car like I would like to I would say get an instructor in the car before you like always have an instructor in the car for your first couple sessions at least yeah um, don't try to do it off on your own because you'll just pick up bad habits like the things right. that you do in the road like it's so counterintuitive some of the things uh, that you that you're supposed to do it's like if your car is skidding off to one side you know your instinct is to hit the hit the brakes right okay so you're gonna now load you the steer. front wheels <laughs> And you're going to lighten the back, and your car's already in a spin. So you made a slow spin into a fast spin. Good fucking job. Like, <laughs> awesome work. That's, that's good. We're going to go around in circles now. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's all about controlling your tires. Uh, slow, easy inputs. Like, really mm-hmm. good drivers have the laziest hands ever. Um, you don't see them jerking the wheel. They don't see them doing anything. You don't want to tell the tires to do anything that they're not meant to do like they're not if they're going in one direction let them go in that direction if the car's sliding towards the wall you may want to steer into it until you get your steering back and some traction so you can drive away uh there's a video on uh on youtube of that 450 horsepower uh civic that we that we had uh and the videos i go down turn two and i'm hooking around to go into turn three going up the 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 hill Mm -hmm. remember i said we were blowing tires uh hit the braking zone at about 170 kilometers an hour and blow a tire so wow. no traction and then the tr- grass was wet so i'm instantly on the grass and i'm sliding down the grass so i lock the wheels uh and i hold the brakes uh and then when i get close enough to the wall i let go of the brakes uh which isn't something that most people would do they would just hold on to the brakes until you hit the wall right uh, just but trying if you to watch bury it. the video uh, you'll see that I lift off and come, I was like, the, that side view mirror was about an inch away from, from the wall, the tire wall. 
And I just lazily drove off the track, drove to the Marshall Station. Hey, where do you want me to wait? <laughs> and that was that. It was uh, it wow. was just completely uneventful. And I've gone, I've done strange things. Like I went once. I went down turn two at a forty-five degree angle because I had blown. Uh, I hadn't known this, but I'd blown my rings, uh, and it was throwing oil through the head into the catch can, which then filled up which then decided to drop oil onto my rear wheels. So here I am flying mm -hmm. down the side of this and the back end just steps out. Uh, and I instinctively floor it. And I'm sliding down turn two with the front wheel spinning and I, my steering wheel straight and I get to the bottom of the hill, the car catches and I drive straight down the line. The marshals were like, I've never seen anything like that before. Oh Even the people that were watching like that, that, uh, that when I blew the tire going into straight, like they're like, we thought for sure this was the speeds that I was going towards that wall. We thought for sure you're, you're going to bite it. And sure enough, I got control when I needed it and, and, and nothing dramatic happened. Um, but like a lot of that stuff is like, it's tough. Um, and mm -hmm. like, I love teaching mm -hmm. people on rain days, um, get out in the rain, uh, limits the limit. Like I love rain days. So when it comes to like driving, mm -hmm. uh, your goal when you're driving is just to find the limit. Uh, even if there's no traction, you don't have and low limits. Right. It's still a blast. Like it's, I remember it's that so, so distinctively fun. from the had a car control school that we did many, many years ago was yeah. that kind of, um, the, uh, it was basically like the skid pad and yeah. it was, you know, steering with throttle yeah. and understanding in a front wheel drive car where that threshold limit is, um, before you start to lose traction yeah. and you, it was just like a light bulb went on in my head and I went, yeah. Holy shit. Like this is, this is, this is really what the, yeah. what the threshold if is. If I could only drive in the rain, I would just do that. And the reason is, is like one part of it is like, it's just still as exciting. Like, you know, even that wet day when I crashed, like I was still getting 1.7 G's in the corners, which is more than a street car can get in the dry. Wow. Um, and the, uh, the, uh, the neat thing about it is like you wear 0% of your tires. You're not using your brakes very much. Mm -hmm. um, it's really easy on the car. Barely easy on the car. You're not straining the motor. You're not revving it up because you basically you hit the gas. When the wheels start to spin, you shift. <laughs> when the wheels start to spin, you shift. Like, <laughs> it's like you don't even have to look at your RPM gauge because you're just yeah, waiting to you feel for it. tire slip and then you shift. Uh, and that's how you drive in the. That's how you drive in the rain. And then you're on the track looking for where the the grippy parts are. You're looking. You're steering away from anything that's shiny. It's shiny you don't want to drive on it you know, if, if it's not shiny then that's 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 where you want to be that's a good piece uh, of advice uh, yeah and then you know you could spend an entire summer and you save so much on fuel because you're not burning through fuel uh you save your tires because you're not eating your tires not eating your brakes like the car is but as a driver it's like it's just so much fun you can still toss the car you can still slide the car you can still you know you find the limits like it's a much slower speed mm -hmm. uh, but it's still just as much fun I like that. Get out and drive in the damn rain. Drive in the rain. It's a rain day. Go to the track. Like, um, like, and this is a weird thing. It's like you go to these lapping days and it's like, it's, oh, it's raining. So the track is empty. And there I am. Like, instead of doing half hour stints, I'm doing hour stints. Like, why not? That's <laughs> good. Um, well, I think we're like, we're kind of getting to the end of our, uh, of mm -hmm. our, our hour here. Um, I think if anything, maybe you could leave us with, what you would recommend, I mean, you don't have to if you don't want to associate yourself with necessarily a brand, but if there is a driving school that you would recommend out there for people to get into and, um, you know, intermediate, or, you know, beginner, intermediate, advanced, um, is there anyone that you'd recommend in particular? Um, well, I'm a big fan of like uh, all the CASC events, mm -hmm. um, like the, it's, they teach you time attack, uh, time attack. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if you have no interest in uh, in competing in time attack, just so everyone knows, it's it's not door to door racing. It's it's you're racing against the clock. So mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. watch Formula One, it's what qualifying is. And then instead of right. winning pole position, your goal is to win pole position. Mm -hmm. uh, that you do get a you get your trophy there as opposed to forcing your back on the track to, to swap paint. But yeah. Uh, so it's a very safe way to win track because it's you against the clock. You have an open piece of track. There's mm -hmm. no one around you. Um, so they, they teach that, uh, and, uh, that's where I've been teaching the most. I also been doing this at Philly and BMW school, which is really good. Uh, the Hanson driving school is really good. There's, uh, there's, uh, there's great, and it all depends on instructors. And I would always say get as many instructors in your cars, uh, as you can. Um, because it's almost like, and the way it was explained to me, and I always loved this analogy, but it was, uh, it's almost like, you know, uh, spaghetti sauce, right? So it's like, you talk to anybody. And it's like their mom makes the best spaghetti sauce. Like my mom <laughs> I see. makes, and then your mom also makes 
better spaghetti sauce than anyone else. Like of your course. mom and my mom and everyone has mom. And then you have to go out and you have to make a spaghetti sauce. So I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to let you try my spaghetti sauce. This is kind of what I do. This is what I think is working. That's right. And you may take a couple things from this point, this point, get mm-hmm. another instructor who has a completely different uh, driving style and different set of uh, advice for you. And then try that. See what works. And then keep what works. Ditch what doesn't. Make your own make your own spaghetti sauce, basically. Uh, but yeah. And the way I, I drive. That's, like that's, I a, to, that's a fantastic yeah. way to think about it. Yeah. And the thing I also say about uh, driving is, is like when I first started tracking, um, I was a very technical driver, um, which... Uh, was exhausting because uh, you had to remember every turn-in point, every braking zone. Mm-hmm. I had to hit a certain number on my dashboard in order to make this corner, and then I'm trying to hit another. But it was just mentally exhausting. And at some point, I switched to the whole drive-by-feel, which was no more reference points. I don't. People ask me what how fast I am going down the, down the straightaway. And it's like our last race where I didn't even have a speedometer. Because and they're like, why don't you have a speedometer? Don't you? I don't care how fast I'm going. I'm going as fast as this car will go. Huh, interesting. Uh, I don't need to have a number. You don't have to. I, we'll pull the data off the computer and then I'll look at it in the pits and I can tell you. Uh, but when I'm on the track, it's it's not relevant. I'm gonna go as hot into this corner as I can. I'm gonna break as late as I can. I'm gonna accelerate late as I can. Uh, having an actual number associated with it doesn't doesn't help me much. Right. Um, Probably not a recommended technique for people just getting into driving. But yeah. <laughs> you've earned it yeah uh, but i'm all drive by feel like the tires tell you everything give mm-hmm. the inputs that the tires want listen to the tires use your brakes as, to the maximum of their ability um brake hard brake late i teach trail braking to novices um oh, which awesome. sometimes they get in trouble with driving schools because they're like yeah we only teach that as a, to advanced drivers um but i just find that Teaching people to break in a straight line and then, you know, coasting to the apex and then going on the throttle. What happens if you go in too hot and you've been trained in your head that you can only break in a straight line? You mm-hmm. can trail break into corners. Like mm-hmm. It is a safe technique to do. Yeah. Uh, but if you train them to go in a straight line, what ends up happening is they miss their braking zone for whatever reason. They hit the brakes. And instead of saving themselves and just holding onto the brakes into the apex, they lift off because I can't. Yeah. Gas in the braking same time. The car's going to spin and really crash. It's <laughs> not. Uh, so it's like I teach it right away. It's one of the like uh, it won't be the first session out, but by the end of the first day, like I'll usually have people at least understanding the concept of what it is, uh, because you need to understand that breaking in a straight like uh, breaking in a straight line is safe um, until it isn't. So and and then you know once you get to the advanced form, because it's like the, that's slow in fast out. And some cars you have to drive like that. Like mm-hmm. a, a 911, it's like there's there's no way around it like you that it's you got a pendulum behind you so like you've got gobs of grip from the apex out because the engine is behind the wheels mm-hmm, and it just mm-hmm. hooks like a mother but coming and in coming but coming in you just got to be careful mm-hmm. like, you don't want to get that pendulum started you can still trail trail break uh, a 911 uh you just got to be very selective of how much you do it you still do most of your braking in a straight line and maybe you hang on to it a little bit um but that's uh that's how how that car goes but for me it's like um, I got to get maximum grip uh, from turn in all the way to the exit. Like, you know when the car is using all of its tire uh, and uh, and you're just hooking. And there's no better feeling than that in the world. It's like, just it's you are on the razor's edge. Like, this is the absolute limit of what this can do. Yeah. It's like uh, the auto equivalent of like hitting the sweet spot on a bat and cranking yeah. a home run. Yeah. Um, and Go Blue Jays. That's it. <laughs> and they run today. So it's amazing. Um, that's amazing. I, I honestly, I, I, I was hoping for it. I just didn't know what to expect out of our, out of our chat, but that was massively helpful. I think everyone who's listening is going to find this extremely intriguing because, and I appreciate you, um, uh, being able to bestow some of this, uh, knowledge on us as mm-hmm. we, uh, as we listen, because I think to a lot of people, it's, um, it's like I said before, super intimidating, just the thought of even getting on a track, let alone knowing how to drive your car well, but also, not very widely known like nor do people really know where to go to get the information or even get in a car with someone who yeah. really knows how to drive well like i've i've been racing for since 2000 2001 um but like the last time i got a speeding ticket was i was 17 so it's yeah. not like i want to and i have these crazy cars 
But there's no point driving on the street. I don't want to break my car on the street. Like, I agree. It's such I, a waste of my life. It's so embarrassing, too. <laughs> it really is. Um, Take it to the track. Like, the track is where you're free to do whatever you want. There is no speed limit posted you can do. And, you know, the thing is, and, and like, I used to call my wife when I would get to the track because statistically, like, I'm safer at the track than I am driving to the track. Um, everyone at the track drives the exact same direction nobody's crossing there's no lights there's mm-hmm. no one's on their phone no one's listening to radio no one's dealing with their sat nav mm-hmm. um none of these these things are problems and the tracks are designed to slide off of the cars like if you bring a crappy car like i've instructed into the real shit boxes uh and you know right away like i don't have to worry about it because two laps in it's just going to break down no, <laughs> no no deal like whatever it's like, yeah, like it's not gonna be any harm to anyone not, no one yeah that thing is not going to hurt anyone it's going to be good for a couple laps and, and there was a guy who didn't even do a full lap before his engine went no kidding. Uh, so, oh, God, that's good. But, yeah, he had bought, like, a salvage car and thought it would be a good idea to track it. And it wasn't. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Miles, thank you so much for coming. Um, this has been awesome. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to do this again because I want to come and spend some time in a car with you again. Mm-hmm. It'll be, like, 10 years later. Yeah. Which would be awesome. Yeah. And hopefully, by the time I do come... Um, I may have um, actually sold my WRX. Getting into a new WRX might maybe get an STI. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Subaru has been very good to me. Mm-hmm. But um, I'd love to be able to come, and you can teach me the ways of all-wheel drive instructing, which I would love. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll uh, we'll get you back on the show again for sure. We'll do a recap. So in the meantime, uh, good luck this weekend at Mosport in the Supersonic 7. Super mm-hmm. Duper Supersonic 7. <laughs> Super um, Duper drive-trained. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I crashed the car, built a new one, and just decided to start a car company out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to make that chassis open source, so right. anyone who wants it can build it. That, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people would probably take you up on that. Yeah. Um, so that's it for episode 12. Stay tuned for episode 13. Um, I will be back after an interesting adventure at the Jaguar Art of Performance Tour, where I'm looking forward to driving the new Jag F-Type. Very excited about that, uh, as well as an F-Pace, which will be the continuation of my ultimate baby machine uh, series. So trying to find what works best to baby in. Um, Looking forward to doing that show, and then I'm off to Japan, so stay tuned for that. Um, For now, that's it. You can find us on thebucketseat.ca, find us on iTunes, on Shout Engine, and on Slacker if you're in your car or even on Twitter at The Bucket Seat. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next episode. When when there's a race car for sale, I've always, like, when any time I've ever seen it, I mean... I guess I've seen stuff like on Jalopnik where somebody sees a an older like a decommissioned NASCAR team has like put mm-hmm. up their car, their trailer, all the tools, all the tires, like they've just folded and everything's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the car, like that that whole race setup, is a couple hundred grand or something, opposed mm-hmm. to going in and needing to dump a million dollars into a race team or something. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were searching for that super seven like where did you even find that uh we knew the guy who built it we just he raced with us for a while he was going through a divorce so he parked he parked it for uh two years and then uh he's like i'm not going back into it um wow. and uh and he took over huh. yeah, the uh yeah the super rex the type r uh crx the guy i bought that car from um his girlfriend got pregnant and he was like i'm out wow yeah <laughs> oh man